for listening to popolitikin.com. We got you stuck. Got you stuck off the realness. Washington, author of From Ivy League to Stripper Life, and I'm on Popolitikin Radio. Welcome back to popolitikin.com, your home for self-help meets hip-hop. Make sure you download our app on iTunes and Android. I'm now politicking with the author, Alona Washington. She is the author of the hit book, From the Ivy League to the Stripper Life. So we're going to get all into that book today. Because, you know, I used to be about that life, but I ain't about that life no more. But how you doing, though? I'm doing well. I used to be about that life, so you were the stripper, too? Nah, I used to go. <laughs> that used you don't to be, go no more? Nah, I never, I don't know, the stripper thing wasn't for me because to me it's just a tease, so I'd be ready to do the real thing, so the strippers can't do nothing for me. I had to go to, I had to go to the next level for a minute. <laughs> I, hear, I hear that a lot. I heard that a lot. Yeah, that just teased me. I'd be ready, I'd just be in there mad. But anyway, so let's talk about your background. Where are you from? Let us know where you from. Um, born and raised from um, D.C., the Chocolate City. All right. Well, you all chocolate over there, right? I see you. Yep. <laughs> so how did you get into writing? Because I heard you actually, this is your third book, right? Yes, yes. The uh, other two books were published by other people. This is the first book I've published. But the other two books are anthology. So it's a collection of stories from women, and they talk about the adversity and and how they overcame it. So it's kind of like a little introduction to kind of, you know, get my feet wet into this whole writing and publishing world. All right. So the name of the book is From the Ivy League to Stripper Life. So it's based on a true story. So I guess the yeah. first thing is just going to your education. So um, the Ivy League is not me. My mom and my stepdad are Ivy League um, graduates. So I was raised in a household where, you know, they valued education, they stressed going to a good school, and, um, you know, they were like valedictorian of their class, and they took the SAT and got like maybe 20 or 60 questions incorrect, you know, you know what I mean? So um, as I was growing up, that was not my deal, like, I kind of struggled, so... Um, out of, you know, all of the kids and everything, you know, I was the only stripper. So I kind of wanted to write about that. So how do your parents, are you, you have a good relationship with your parents? Or are they, like, angry at you for, and that gets kind of, I don't know, kind of, I know they probably kind of like, where are you, a stripper? They're probably looking at you crazy, or they don't matter. So, um, my stepdad passed away, but when I was a dancer, he was a little, you know, surprised, probably disappointed, but he didn't say nothing. Um, my father, I re, who I reunited with um, after I started dancing, he didn't care. He's a minister, by the way, so that was um, that added twist. But um, my mom, I didn't tell her for like years, and you know, I would have them babysit my daughter, or I would have a whole bunch of ones, <laughs> a whole bunch of cash on me. And so I know one night she asked me, like, where am I getting all of this money from? And I said, oh, I'm waitress at Applebee's. And so for years, she thought I was a waitress at Applebee's. But um, I was in my mid-20s when I started, so there really wasn't anything that, you know, she could say. She didn't really say much. Yeah, how long did you do it? Are, are you still doing it? <laughs> 
<laughs> I danced for five years. <laughs> Am I still doing it? Only when I have a man. Oh, I heard that. So what made you stop? Um, I had a couple of close calls. Um, I was messing with this big time hustler um, out in the Virginia area. And um, it's in my book. You probably read it. And um, something happened between us. And he came through the club trying to apologize. I wouldn't listen. He started tipping everyone on my set like $20. So they were making like $60 or $100 a set. And I was only making like whatever money the other dudes were giving me. So I was pissed off, right? So that night I ignored him. <laughs> I decided to spend the night out. The next night I went to my apartment to go to sleep and he broke into my apartment and stood over me and I felt like somebody was watching me but um, I decided something told me to go back to sleep so I went back to sleep. When I woke up the next day my my blanket was, was folded neatly over the back of my couch so that's when I knew that he was in my apartment and I had the police come check and they checked the doors and the window and um confirmed that someone had broken in. So that I mean you had some tricks, some some crazy tricks in your life, huh? Why did I call him a trick? He was not a trick. Um that's what that's what dudes that go see strippers are. <laughs> no, 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 no. So you gotta get the lingo right. The, the trick is the dude who pays, you know, for sex or um I think they call him a sponsor now, you know? Like some dude that just gives you money, and then in exchange you, you do what you gotta do. Sometimes there are ways where you don't have to, you know, perform sex. They just give you money. But you know, the trick is that dude that is just done with his money just gives it to you. Oh, okay. So what do you call the the the, the guys that go see strippers? They just customers or what? Mm-hmm. They're yeah, they're customers. Um, like when I met my husband. We actually went to middle school together, so it wasn't like he was just some customer in a strip club. I already knew who he was. He just came through, and we just started talking. But he, he was the type of customer where he just came in after a hard days of work and would just chill. He didn't really talk to nobody. One of my other friends actually started talking to him, and he you know kind of opened up and talked to all of us. But then there are the other customers who came through trying to get some realizing that it wasn't going to happen. So they would go about their way, and then they were the trips. Okay. So what's the, I guess, like, you, is any other things that happened that you remember from your, your five-year run in the game? What do you mean? Do like, I Because you were saying, like, uh, like the fast life, like any other stories you was talking about, you had the one where the dude was broke in the house. Any other things you remember from that time? Um... Any rappers came through? <laughs> I went to a porn awards show one year. Okay. How was that? It was very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that I could not put in my book. <laughs> so were you involved with porn too or just the uh, stripping thing? No, but you know what's interesting? It was um, Janet Jack, me, and Heather. Hunter. Yeah, Hunter, all of them, like the big names, and, and the men, too. I, I watch porn, but, of course, they were all like, because I have um, the kind of body that the women aspire to get. I have a tiny waist, 
and I have, you know, full hips and a, and a fat ass, right? So Janet hugged me and smacked my ass and was like, why are you playing around with that stripper mess? You need to come on and do porn and make some real money. And I was looking at her like, oh my God, there's no way I could like have sex on camera and have people sell that shit. Like, <laughs> I just can't do it. But, you know. But now it seems like, nowadays it seems like people bringing the cameras in the strip club. I know. I'm so glad I got out before that. Um, some girls don't care. I don't think they're thinking about their next phase in life, but um, for the most part, towards the end of my run, like 2000, 2001, I guess that's when the whole portable camera thing was coming out, and dudes were trying to, you know, sneak through and record us. Hmm. All right, then you was also talking about, uh, I was reading on your, I was seeing this on your Facebook page, but you was mentioning like, uh, like sexual, child, like child abuse, you, you was bringing awareness to that. So I just want you to talk about that, just bring awareness to it in this interview. Oh, okay. Um, yes. So my book is about that. I wanted people to see the disconnect between how I grew up and the type of parents I had versus um, me becoming a stripper. And uh, like I told you before, like I was a good girl. I, you know, read all the time. Um, I, you know, wasn't like in the streets or anything like that, but I had been sexually abused at the age of five. It first started in D.C. by my cousin and a neighbor, and then my mother graduated Princeton. I was abused by the boys in the neighborhood, so I grew up thinking that something was wrong with me, like I was supposed to, you know, be that way or be used that way. So when I graduated college, couldn't find a job, and got the eviction notice on my door, and this dude I was with was like, yo, you should dance. You got the body for it. I was like, you know who I am? Like, I went to Howard. I played in sorority. My parents are Ivy Leaguers. I know they're going to stripper. And then, you know, that notice came up every day. You know, I kept seeing it. I was like, well, shit, maybe I have to go to the strip club <laughs> and make this money real quick. But, um... Once I went, you know, I it felt comfortable for me, so I stayed. That's why I stayed. Did I say, do you regret it or no? No, I don't regret it. Um, I grew up in the strip club. Like, I was so naive. Like, I fell for anything. Like, I'm, you know, 46 now. I still fall for, you know, stupid shit, but not like I used to be back in my 20s. I, I was so sheltered. If I hadn't, you know, worked as a stripper, I don't know how I could have, you know, gone through life. You know, I was I was being played left and right. Stripper gave me game. Hmm. What's up? I will say, so when you, you was talking about when you was abused, where was your parents at all these times? Um, yeah. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of times, like, I don't know. It seems like people got a bad habit of just letting anybody be around their kids. So I, that's why I'm asking you because I know a lot of people, they take that for granted, putting anybody around their kids. Yeah. Um, I don't think my mother had people around me. Um, the The issue with me being abused in New Jersey was my mom and my stepdad, they worked. They were out of the house all day. So at so when I got off the school bus, I was, what, in second grade. My sister was in kindergarten. We were home by ourselves for hours, and we were alone. 
um, my best friend at the time, her brother was much older, and that's where the abuse began. And then once he started to tell his friends, they would knock on my door and, you know, or if I was going outside to play or going over to my girlfriend's house, they would stop me and, you know, and make me, you know, go see them. So, um, it was because I was the last kid that I was abused. So, and, and no one really, no, no one talked to me at all about sex. They read the book to me about, you know, how to make a baby and all that stuff, but no one told me, um, no one is supposed to touch you here or if someone does, you know, tell me. So all those boys who were molesting me were telling me that if anyone ever found out, it would be my fault. They would blame me. So that's why I never felt like there was anyone that I could trust. And as the years went on, and, you know, the adults in my life heard about it, and I was the fast girl in the neighborhood, they all blamed me. Like, no one said damn, did something happen to her to make her this way? Because my sister wasn't this way. I protected my sister, and she didn't turn out to do the things that I did. So what, So what? if any of you know, like any kid that's going through that, what should they do? Um, tell your parents, but I've heard stories, and I know survivors whose parents... Um, put them in that situation. So even if they're, if they don't have a parent they can trust, I would go to the school counselor and tell, or I would go to the police station and tell. But a lot of times they don't want to do that because they're afraid that they're going to never see their parent again, you know, or rip up their household. Or they believe the threats that the abuser tells them to. And, oh, I have to put this out there. There's also um, Rain. Rain is um, 24-7. You can call. You can chat. You can email help. And it's R-A-I-N-N dot org. Okay. And then I was reading some chapters of your book. So you said one of them chapters called Sex Solves Nothing. So I want you to talk about that. So, um, you know, before I started dancing, I was having sex and I kind of did it out of obligation because my abusers trained me that if a guy wanted to have sex with me that I was supposed to let him. So I did. You know, I wasn't very good. I kind of just laid there, did whatever until he finished, right? So I expected because I had sex that I would get this fulfillment, you know, this emotional fulfillment of void or they would reciprocate by making me their girl or whatever, but it rarely happens like that. Men don't see sex the way women see sex, right? So when I started dancing, um, when I first walked into the club and I saw those girls dancing, I was like, damn, like, they get down in the bedroom. So when I talked to the girl Chocolate and I was like, damn, y'all, I don't have sex like that. And she was like, neither do we. And I was thinking, like, why would you not have sex like that, you know? So sex became, I incorporated what I learned dancing into the bedroom. So sex became like, um, it was fun. It was like a sport, you know? And I cared more about bringing it rather than just laying there. 
So I say, so what do you mean by the, when it says sex solves nothing? What does that what does that mean then? Right. So I stopped looking at sex to fill a void. Um, oh, okay. And I know a lot of women, if they feel that there's something missing in their life, they they use sex to cover up the hurt, or they use sex to think they can get love in return. And sex is just sex. It's not to be used to replace or to seek something. Mm-hmm. Now you said not all strippers are hoes. So I want you to talk about that chapter some. Okay. So, um, yeah, so you and I, I want you to tell me, what is a hoe? Because you think all strippers are hoes. So tell me, what is a hoe about your definition? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think... I basically have a category where I put all these women in holes. So you have like the back page holes, then you have strippers, then you have like the massage ones. <laughs> so I gotta put all like anybody doing stuff like that for money or, or hoes to me. That's just how I look at it. But then you got the ones that ain't just doing everything for nothing. They hoes too. You know what I'm saying? But they kind of like the worst level to me. <laughs> all right. So, so you're saying a hoe is a woman who's doing anything in the sex industry for money. Right. Not necessarily having sex. Right. Okay, so there's a quote in my book, right? It says, some say that a woman who trades her body for sex, who, who trades her body for money is a whore, right? Right. But if that's the case, then a woman that trades her body for flattery and kind words is a whore that's not paid very well. Right. That's why I said that's like the worst level. That's the worst uh, level to me. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's like the ones like... But like I said, I don't... It's always getting how you live and like you said, like you never know people's story. So I don't look down on nobody because you never know what... You know, you never know. Like you said, you got some other shit going on and that's the reason you did it. So I never like look down on people but I still kind of look... You know, I still have my point of view on things but I don't... Are you a hoe, blah, blah, like, no, nah, like, she's still a woman, so I still respect her, you know, I don't, like, it ain't like that with it. I respect okay. all the women, so I don't, I don't do it like that, but still a hoe. <laughs> like, still, I'll be looking funny, like, if it was my, my wife be like, I used to be a stripper, I'm like, what? You know, I would, you know, it just depends how good our relationship is if I leave her or not, but I'll still be kind of like. horrible, what is wrong with you? <laughs> That'll just be in the back of my mind, like, dang, you used to do that? So I'll be looking at it kind of funny, like, I don't know. I don't know how I would deal with that. But you do realize some women, like, just because you, see, your definition of a hoe is different from my definition. My definition is a hoe is a promiscuous woman, someone who engages in sex, in casual sex, and having multiple sex partners. So if you're in the massage industry and you're performing a happy ending, I don't consider that a hoe. But sometimes the happy ending don't just be the hand, though. It'd be like, <laughs> it'd, be, that's, it'd be sex. That's something different. Yeah, yeah. You, don't, you don't be just that, the happy ending. It'd be, it'd be happy ending, but a real happy ending. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't know. But um, no. So I consider a hoe is just someone like, like when, um, I was a teenager in my early 20s. I was a hoe. I was having sex with everybody. It didn't take much to get me in bed. You know what I mean? But I think this later part of my life, like, no, I'm not that easy. 
you know, so I don't, I'm a retired hoe, I guess you could say. So, <laughs> so what we, so, so, so strippers, what, what do you, what do we call them? Do you strip? Well, like, what, what should we call them then? I, I see it as a job. I see it as a form of entertainment. So some, now some dancers dance butt naked, right? Some do not. So if you have a girl that's in a bikini that is doing pole tricks, climbing to the top of the pole and dropping in the split and doing all of this other stuff, but she's scantily clad, how is that different from the backup dancers or these singers who are doing the same thing in next to nothing? I know. I don't... Uh, <laughs> that girl isn't having sex at the end of the night. If that girl is just doing it because she's good at her job, she has a man at home. Why is she a hoe? But I guess so. What I mean, I guess I mean I don't look at the dance. I mean, I mean, I just I don't want we don't want to go too far on this. But I'm just saying, like I don't look at like when they dancing. I don't look at that as bad. I look at the lap dances. That's the part to me that's kind of holy because dudes like you know you know how dudes do they wear sweatpants and shit windbreakers on probably be nothing and shit while you dancing on them so that part not the dancing part the the lap dancing part <laughs> that's the yeah. part i'm okay. I, that's the part i'm talking about i'm not talking about the dancing part it, that's that's you know ballerina cabaret whatever i'm talking about the the, the vip stuff yeah so i didn't i didn't do that now i think that in the beginning like before I, you know, got really good and I went into, and I started working at the penthouse. So in the beginning, yeah, I did that a couple of times. I don't think I lasted a month because you're right. They don't wear underwear and they wear those windbreakers. <laughs> That's disgusting. But if, okay, so if a girl sits on the lap and just dances and does her thing, right? Uh -huh. doesn't, doesn't do anything else. Dude doesn't finish or anything like that. Is she a hoe? Because she's sitting on different laps and dancing. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> no, I said I that. Like it. Huh? I wouldn't like it either. But is she a hoe because that's her job? I don't know. I guess it's for the listeners inside. So, yeah, hey. Y'all listening to the interview, y'all got to hit us back and let us know. <laughs> so, the, the, the next one, you were saying, um, you wrote, pain is your purpose. So, I wanted you to talk about that. that that's a good that's a good one. So, I wanted you to talk about that. Um, okay. So, all those years of abuse and believing that everything that the abusers told me about myself was true. I had a, you know, pretty painful life. I lived um, according to their view of me. But, and, and because of that, I also felt like God didn't apply to me. You know, God protected everybody else but me. All of this stuff happened to me in two different states by men who didn't know each other. So, I must not be worthy of his protection. But um, as I, you know, did counseling and went through the healing and everything, I started to realize that, um, and I know it's going to sound funny, but God chose me to go through all that hard, the hardship. Um, he gave me the strength to endure it 
Um, and he gave me the ability to process it all, you know, not go crazy, not end up in a psych ward and not be suicidal. So he gave me all of this strength to go through all of that and also to tell my story so I could help other women and men too. So that's why I think my pain is my purpose. And then like you were saying, like you were saying earlier, you was talking about like how to, uh, it gave you game, like you wouldn't have knew a lot of, you learned a lot going through that stuff, like just how to deal with people. Yeah, I, I did, especially how to deal with men. Like I could, I could size a dude up in seconds now. I already know what their intention is, you know? So it's in my court whether I want to make the decision whether I want to deal with that BS or not. But before, I would just believe whatever fairytale BS will come my way. All right, and what are, what are your keys to being successful? If someone asked you that, what would you say? <laughs> um, consistency and um, doing... I, I, I measure success differently. It's not about making a whole lot of money, although I do. Um, my number one definition of success, though, is to have healthy, emotionally mature children, responsible citizens. So I do everything I can to be the best parent that I can. And I'm real, and I tell them everything straightforward. Um, what, what did I say? Straight, no chasers? That's how I parent, right? That's my first definition of success. My second definition for me is to do what is in my heart to do. If I abandon all of this and got a corporate job and I become VP of marketing somewhere I would not feel like I'm successful because I was put on this earth to tell my story and to help other women. All right. I think that was two. You got one more? Oh, <laughs> I can't count, right? Um, <laughs> and um, my definition of success is to do, oh, is to be consistent. And if I say I'm going to do something, do it. If I want to write this next book, do it. If I say I'm going to um, meet somebody somewhere, you know, do it. Just be a person of my word. Then somebody wants to be an author, how do they, how can they get into that, get into that field? What can they do to, if they want to do that? The first thing I would say is uh, to start writing. Although they say, you know, um, they don't know where to begin, I would just say just write everything out, stream of consciousness, don't worry about order, format, nothing, and then go back and arrange things. And before you publish the book, market it, set up a Facebook page, and build your following. And, you know, there are a lot of, you know, creative things you can do. Of course, you talk to family and friends, but you always want to work with your network. Like, if you're going to write um, urban fiction and join, you know, Facebook groups and go to book fairs and things like that and, and try to build from there. But um, it is imperative that you market before the book is published. Hmm. So what's next for you? What are you working on? <laughs> I am actually ghostwriting. So the woman who actually mentored me when I was dancing, I'm writing her story. Hmm. 
And it is dope. So, no. so you you write you write you write you are writing Ronnie Ho's story now. <laughs> what did you just say to me? I said you write you remember Ronnie Ho off the Players Club. I said you write her oh. book now. You, oh. <laughs> that, that's a book you write now. You write her yeah, book. That's a book I'm writing now. Uh, yes. I like that oh. movie though. Now, did you like that movie Players Club? I did. I did. Well, so that's kind of like yeah, your story, yeah. huh? It was kind of cliche, though. I want to see something that's, like, more real, you know? So what do you mean? Like, it was it was her story. I think it was very, very vanilla. They could have delved a whole lot deeper um, into the life itself. Because not every single woman is like that. Um, <coughs> I don't know. There's... there's it's just a lot. It, it just seems very cliche, very what everyone expects strippers and stripper life to be, and it's not necessarily like that. My life wasn't like that. Oh, so you you saying like so each stripper got their own kind of background and the reason why they doing it? Oh hell yeah, we do. And each club is different too. That club was shady. The people that were working there were shady. A lot of the times that is the case, but I I think I would just. I would like to see a movie where it talks about a little deeper, or maybe like a series, you know, so you can kind of get to know the, you know, the people, the characters, and get into their background. So they didn't really get into Ronnie's background, right? Just the, the trifle stuff that she did. Right. So, like we was talking about, we gave advice to the authors. So anybody that want to be a stripper, what should they do? Is it just about having a nice body, or they gotta have more right. than that? So I can't even believe you said that to me. <laughs> I mean, you got the book, so you know you know what they got to do. I'm just saying, because we might have people want to be a stripper, so we got to keep it real. So, look, I don't recommend it. Oh. I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, you know, then go for it. But I will tell you, you do not have to do that butt implant stuff. You don't have to do anything harmful to your body. Guys um, like bodies of all types. I know black men prefer... A woman with a fat ass, and it's true, I ain't gonna lie, but if you're beautiful and you have a stunning personality and you have talent, you don't need no damn butt shot. So stop with that. Yeah, because I'm, I'm in San Diego, so it's big out here because you got all the military bases and stuff. So shit, girls be wanting to do some girls. I mean, like I said, I don't, some girls be wanting to do their stuff because there's a lot of money into it. It is, but then, like, with, with that type of money, it's like being a hustler. You know, you get... Always got to watch your back and stuff. Yeah, a certain set of phones. Yeah, I have my money stolen often, you know. You kind of have to guard yourself. Um, then around Christmas time, dudes would follow us home and then rob us when we got, you know, when we got home. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know... Uh, it's not glamorous at all. Uh, then what are some of your interests and hobbies outside of um, when you're not writing? Um, let's see. I like to, I don't know, I don't really do much now. I'm in a new city. I'm in Philadelphia. So I love going to Poetry Slams. I'm an Eagles fan, so um, I'm into football. Sorry, hard. sorry about that. <laughs> I know, right? I, I can't even, I have no comeback for that, except for thank you. So, uh, not much I can say. I can't talk shit, we suck. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, I used I used to run half marathons, like five k's and stuff. You know, like how Kevin Hart would have those pop up runs. Mm-hmm. I want I want to get back into that. All right. What would you like to say to your fans, people that have been supporting your career so far? Oh my gosh! Um, thank you. I um, I'm actually thankful for everyone, of course, and the people who have known me before I was a dancer, and then they found that I was a dancer that still had my back. I mean, they're the real MVP for real, for real, because I was an entirely different person, and then they kind of embraced me and accepted me, you know, both sides of me. So, yeah, I appreciate that. I want to say thank you for coming through politicking with me. Thanks for having me. Anything else you like to, you want to tell me your social media and everything? Oh, yes. Everything is Ilona Washington, my first and last name, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So it's E-L-O-N-A Washington. And I want to thank you, Poe Politicking, for um, accepting my email. And, and your rigorous screening process. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. The Poe Politicking Show is brought to you by Audible. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible is great for any continuous learner wanting to grow and expand their knowledge and insight. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash PO Audio and get an audiobook of your choice free with a 30-day trial. After the trial, your paid membership will begin at $14.95 per month. With your membership, you will receive one credit every month, good for an audiobook on Audible. Cancel before your trial ends, and you will not be charged. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash audio. And download a free book by Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, Napoleon Hill, Les Brown, Damon John, and more. Always remember that knowledge is power. Thanks for listening to PoePolitikin.com, a self-help meets hip-hop brand. If you are an artist or business owner wanting to be featured on PoePolitikin.com, contact us at PoePolitikin at gmail.com. That's P-O-P-O-L-I-T. I-C-K-I-N at gmail.com or text 760-717-5803. If you're a listener that enjoys the show and wants to support, you can donate to popolitikin.com via paypal.com. Please send donations to popolitikin at gmail.com. Any amount will be helpful in continuing to create quality content and shows. As always, check out popolitikin.com for past episodes. Make sure you subscribe to Popolitikin on iTunes, YouTube, Podomatic, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Welcome to Konimbi Foundation, a private family foundation incorporated in 1968, and it's dedicated to our continued mission of reflecting the family philanthropic philosophy. Our programs expand educational opportunities and creative, inclusive communities. Because supporting the causes of education and community development is the hallmark of our work. The Foundation's programs have ambitious goals that seek to meet the needs of our communities. We acknowledge how important it is to have sound structures and strategies in place to achieve success in all of our programs. To learn more about our work, visit us at conimbi.org and on Facebook at Konimbi Foundation.